Hello there. Welcome to A Very Fine House, brought to you by The Energy Pros. This is the show where we help you keep your home safe, comfortable, and efficient. My name is Pete. And I'm Marty. We're the Home Energy Pros, and we're going to talk to you about everything you need to know about heating. And cooling. Your insulation. Your drafty attic. Your windows. Your doors. And everything else you need to know to keep your home safe, comfortable, and efficient. On today's episode, we're going over a deep dive on insulation. So no better time to talk about insulation uh, in Northeast Ohio than, than spring where it's a uh, you know, snowstorm. Um, and look, to start, a lot of people's homes, and like I said on the first episode, our home was built in the 50s, and we uh, had the insulation done years ago. But what do you do if you have a cold, drafty, you know, home, your, your insulation, uh, sorry, your heating costs are high? Where, where do you even start? The first thing I would mention is insulating your home is a year-round phenomenon, not just for the winter. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, as I said in our first episode, we've talked to thousands of customers over the last decade or so about those very issues. Drafty homes, first, second floors, has a large temperature gradient from the first floor. There's drafts, the heating bills are high. So the first thing we do, as we mentioned last time, is listen to the customers and find out what their issues are. They're usually calling us with a problem. So we listen and then uh, take that into consideration before you know, moving on and doing a more comprehensive look at the house. So you're not going to necessarily just go in and start putting holes in the wall and insulating. There's some diagnostics. Talk to me how the, what do you usually look for? What are some of the telltale signs? Sure. Well, you know, your house is a system. It consists of, you know, four walls or multiple walls, ceilings, uh, attics, and windows. And even if you're having a localized problem in one area, that could be caused uh, by something that's happening in another area of the house. So we start with a diagnostic approach, which involves visual observation of the level of insulation. Uh, infrared cameras can be used to look inside the walls. You've probably seen commercials where they're showing an infrared camera. It's like a heat gun. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen it on some cop shows too. <laughs> yeah. uh, and 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 through that, as, uh, you can determine the level of insulation if there are cold spots in the winter or hot spots in the summer. And also there's a test we can run called a pressure test or called a blower door where we can put a large fan on the house suck the air out of the house, put the house under negative pressure, so to speak. I know we're getting a little technical for a liberal arts major. (laughs) And then we can actually, with very simple technology, Pete, measure and quantify the leakage in your structure. Reminds me, I was in the carrier dome about 20 years ago, and the doors were all, I think they had negative pressure when you walked in and out to keep the dome uh, fully, you know, kind of- That's correct. That's correct. All of our houses are pressurized. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Well, when you, if you have a house that has a forced air furnace, which probably 80% of the homes in the Midwest have forced air furnaces, a big fan that mm-hmm. pushes heat through the house through the ductwork or air conditioning through the ductwork, and that pressurizes the house. And when the house is pressurized, it's kind of like you're living inside a basketball. If there's a leak to the outside or an under-insulated area, the air, the conditioned air in the house that you're already paying for, wants to force its way out, much like puncturing a hole, a hole in a basketball. So this diagnostic test 
Uh, we don't have to get too deep into that, but we can get a baseline in cubic feet per minute of how leaky a house is. That, in conjunction with a visual observation and an infrared camera, can allow us to prepare a prescription of what needs to be done. So another common question, I'm, I'm guessing, going back to when we had it done in our house, is am I going to be living in a construction zone for, for months, or what, what's the typical process look like after you've done the initial diagnostics and the customer, the homeowner says, yeah, I want to go ahead and, and get insulation done? Well, most people may be under the impression that they can't do a lot without a major disruption to their house or major renovation or tearing walls down. That's really not the case. And in, in our the preparation of our um, prescription for the house, we try to prioritize things that make economic sense and that can be uh, achieved without doing what you're saying, tearing up the house. Yeah. So in a typical house like yours, I'm generally familiar with your house, you have certainly the walls of the house, the attics, and then kind of the overall leakage. So there's three principles that one should look at when they're talking about improving the efficiency of their house and insulating it, and that is air sealing the house, increasing the level of insulation in the house, and then ventilating the house. So we've got air sealing, increasing the level of insulation, and then ventilation. Right, and we hope that out of this segment of the podcast, that folks leave with nothing else, the three pillars of improving the efficiency and comfort of your home is air sealing, insulating, and ventilating. Break it down a little bit about each one of those. I mean, air sealing, if I hear you right, it's making sure the home structurally doesn't have a lot of leaks. That's correct. And as we talked last time, if you go into many houses in the winter, there might be a sock at the front door to keep drafts out. Uh, people typically will put uh, plastic over their windows. That, that was keep, my job as a kid. My keep... mom, she'll listen to this. <laughs> we would be, we would, we would have a uh, hair dryer that we'd be sealing with these plastic. And yes, yeah. you're keeping out wind from entering the house. The wind under pressure. So that's air sealing. It's simply closing up any gaps, cracks, or holes from the outside of the house to the end. That could be a door weather strip. It could be an, a window that's not sealed. There are typically a lot of air leakage points in a basement. Someone put a the new furnace in or they put a, a water line outside and they drilled a four-inch hole for a one-inch pipe. And there's gaps from the house to the attic. Light fixtures, hatches, fans. Cumulatively, all these air leaks, particularly in a house under pressure, mm-hmm. pushes conditioned air out of the house. We were just over at your, your office prior to this preparing for today's podcast and one of your... Uh, co-workers, Paul, who I think he gave me a stat, was real interesting. He said that only 13% of the the home's um, uh, leakage would come from insulation. Do I have that right? Yes. And now we'll get into a little physics, but uh, the house, you know, is a, is a structure and your house is a system. And your house, my house, your house, everyone's house is affected to keep your house at a comfortable level. Most of us want to be 68 to 72 degrees to be comfortable the house is affected by three things. Conductive heat transfer, hot to cold, cold to hot. Convective heat transfer, wind pushing cold air into the house during the winter, hot air in the summer. And then third is ventilation to cool attics and to improve indoor air quality. Mm-hmm. So insulation, uh, which is the business we're in, reduces the thermal transfer of heat. Kind of like putting 
cold beer inside of a Yeti cooler. You've done that before, right? <laughs> so so what's, what's that doing? Ice in a cooler with beer or your favorite soft drink is keeping the beverage cold and keeping the, the heat from outside out. Or in a thermos in the hot with coffee or something the other yeah, way around. Right. If you bring in wind or convective transfer into that equation, you're now pushing heat through the structure. Much like, not to get too technical here, but if you've ever got out of a pool on a 75-degree day, Shrinkage. sometimes you're Oh, I'm sorry, on a 75-degree day. <laughs> sometimes you're cold because the wind is taking is pulling the heat away from your body. Okay. If you're standing in a windless day at 75 degrees, you could be comfortable. 75 degrees on a windy day, you're less comfortable because of convective heat transfer. Now, what does all that mean? It means that your house as a system has to address air leakage, which stops convective transfer of heat, and thermal insulation, which keeps heat, the Yeti example, keeps your beer cold, okay? (laughs) Keep it simple. Speaking some terms we can understand here, okay? But it's those three elements that are in a typical typical proposal for a house. The home is essentially the Yeti cooler. That's correct. And there's layers of insulation within that Yeti cooler, and you want the seal tight on it. Yeah. And and it's it's Now, the difference with the Yeti cooler is there's only one source of air transfer, convective transfer. That's that big fat seal around the top. Right. A house, you have many. You have the typical house says 20 to 25% of its surface area are windows with all that perimeter cracks, doors, attic catch. So there are more opportunities for air leakage in a house. So to get back to our point here, when we go to talk to someone about a problem they have at their house or how to improve it, we try to address those three elements in conjunction. Sometimes people say, oh, I just this second floor room is the only one I really want to deal with. The rest of the house is okay. Well, probably not the case because maybe that's because air is pouring into that room, mixing with the rest of the room. So you have to treat your house as a system. Okay. So I, I have a good sense, I think, for the air leakage. And, and thank you for the, the Yeti example. <laughs> that This next step of adding more insulation you know, this is what I want to get into a little bit more is, you know, I've, I've heard the term R value. I think that has to do with maybe the strength of, of insulation. But talk to us about how you know where you need more insulation and, and then how much is enough and what this mysterious R value is. Yes. Well, the typical house, you're, you're looking at ceiling or attic insulation. That's one element. Sidewall insulation, that's the four sides of the house or sometimes there's more. And then the air ceiling. So let's take the attic, for example, because most houses have a conventional attic that's unconditioned. And if you go up in the attic, you might see, you know, two inches of insulation, four inches, five inches. How People always ask, well, how much do I need? How much is enough? In attic situations where there's open-framed attic, like in your house, you have an open-framed attic. Most houses do. Um, the building code today is 14 inches. And that equates to an R value of 49 Our value, as we mentioned in our first episode, is a measure of the thermal conductivity of any material, okay? So fiberglass has a certain R value. Wood has an R value. Glass has an R value. So if you go up in an attic and you want R49, the depth and the amount of insulation is a function of what material you put in. So if you're putting in fiberglass, 14 inches would equal R49. If you go into Home Depot and walk up and down the aisles, you'll see Pink Panther insulation and rolls that say R13, R19. On your walls, you're, because R value is a function of the thickness of the material, you're limited by the thickness of the walls. So most walls are either two by four, 
four inches thick in most houses or sometimes six inches. And you might be able to get an R13 in the walls. So if you go up in your attic and there's only two or three inches of insulation to keep it simple, if that house, or your house or my house, were built in 2023, the building code would require 14 inches. 12 more inches on top and, of And the, the attic is one of the easiest places to attack because, as you mentioned earlier, we're not disrupting the house. It's not invasive, typically. It's easy to get to. And many, many very, very fine houses, even that were built in the 90, late 90s, or early 2000s, they might have an R value or a thickness of insulation in their attic of four to six inches, which at the time was right, right in line with the code. Well, we sometimes can triple that amount of insulation or quadruple the amount of insulation at a relatively low cost. So that would have a dramatic impact on the house. So how much in the attic? At least up to the building code. How much in the walls? Something. If you have none, you can add it in your sidewalls without tearing up your house. Building on that, when you're looking at a sidewall, you mentioned there might be limited area. So spraying it in there, are we putting holes in the wall? Are you blowing it in from the outside? How, how do you get it in there? It can appear daunting and doesn't look great. looks like we're tearing apart your house. But if you have wood siding or vinyl siding or aluminum siding, you can simply remove one ring of siding from the exterior at each level and pump insulation into every wall cavity and then replace it. Now, it's kind of like seeing sauces made. It looks like, oh, my gosh, my house is never going to be the same. But uh, we can do it and other folks can do it if they know what they're doing uh, fairly effortlessly with minimal disruption. If you have a brick house, which I believe your house is a brick house, yep. you can drill from the interior, drill through the plaster, drill through the sheetrock, which is slightly more invasive. But when you're done, if it was done properly, you would hardly know you're there. So in that case, if you have zero insulation in a four-inch sidewall cavity and your house has 2,000 square feet of sidewalls, and you can take the R value from effectively zero to R13, that's quite an improvement. So attic insulation sidewall insulation, and along the way, sealing up gaps, cracks, whether it's door, weather strips, gaps and cracks in the attic. And then we'll get to the basements, I think, a little bit later. Talk about basements, which are problematic. It's a great uh, segue. We're going to take a, a minute here to get a Lake Erie highball here from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Thank you. And we're back. So, Marty, we were just talking about um, attics, and, and you know, you were explaining uh, quite well how the R value, you know, factors in, and, and where you know code has maybe changed over the years. But let's talk a little bit more about the actual materials that you're using. I, I know there's fiberglass, spray foam. What do you typically use? What do you see? You know, and what are the pros and cons of, of? Yes, there are a number of insulated materials you can use in, in this application at least, a retrofit of an existing home. I think the best way to approach that always is is to fit the material for the application, taking into account accessibility, cost, and kind of where you're starting from. Okay, there's really not a one size fits all. But the typical materials used in residential homes in the United States is fiberglass. I don't know the exact percentages, but at least for new construction over the last 30 to 40 years, fiberglass has been the predominant material used in sidewalls and attics, primarily because there are some large manufacturers like Owens Corning, the Pink Panther, you've heard mm -hmm. of that, Johns Mansfield, Certainty, and others that mass produce it at a very low cost 
It's easy to install in new homes and does a good job. It's a good material. Uh, you can also use cellulose, which is, in our view, slightly better because it's a heavier, more dense material. It's a recycled product made out of uh, 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 wood and paper. Yeah, I've seen. It looks almost like old um, old newspaper. Yes, originally it was sense. made out of old newspaper. Had a bad start in the 70s and 80s with some problems with its fire retardant properties, but those have all been addressed. And all the materials, of course, meet uh, proper fire and safety codes. And then uh, foam. Yeah, spray foam. Spray this is a foam. newer product. It's newer, right it's 15, very sexy, years. it's very in yeah. vogue. And there's different types of spray foam. Not all foams are created equal. There's uh, The two biggest categories are open cell foam and closed cell foam. Open cell is, as you can imagine, open strands, long strands. It's a less dense material, has slightly lower R values than closed cell. And while it's a great it's a great application, but doesn't have the air sealing qualities of closed cell foam. Closed cell foam is a premium product. Um, it's very dense, has a higher R value per inch, and is is a superior air barrier. It could make a house almost airtight. So we look at the house, what we're trying to do, budgets, all those things, and try to fit the material to the application. Each of them have pros and cons, cost wise as well as right. Applications. Um, is there a safety issues that that are is one safer than the other? Like you know, I, I remember as a kid, you go into the the crawl space or, or yes. you know, don't 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 let the the pink stuff get on you because you'll itch. You sure, know? Every, and, everyone has their stories about fiberglass because it's glass. Fiberglass mm -hmm. is spun glass blown into strands and gives it some density and its thermal properties, but. Uh, Older fiberglass back in the day is very itchy if you've ever touched it. Uh, yeah. it's you know it's even touching it for a few moments you can get nothing hazardous but just an irritant to the skin. That's improved dramatically. Most of the fiberglass sold today you could rub on your arm and wouldn't really feel much effect. <laughs> I wouldn't, may not recommend that, but it's not nearly as much of an irritant as it was. Secondly, not too long ago, probably seven or eight years ago, maybe ten, fiberglass had formaldehyde in it, which is a known carcinogen. And today, you know, people ask all the time, is, you know, is it safe? Well, there are no fiberglass products uh, for the Rem building trade produced that have formaldehyde. So okay. it's, that's been removed. Um, cellulose is a recycled material. It's very inert. All of both fiberglass, cellulose, and foam have uh, fire safety smoke properties that are equivalent to other building materials. So there's no concern there. Foam is a little trickier. It's a premium, very expensive product. And it's very highly advertised. People will call us and say, I just want this back bedroom foamed. But the rest of the house may be uninsulated or underinsulated. And those sort of applications don't make a lot of sense going back to the thought of your house as a system. And then the analogy I use is with folks is like, well, you know, you don't put leather seats in the back seat of your car. You either have yeah. leather seats or you don't. Right. Even though it's a great product and has great uses uh, in certain applications, foam is a polymer. And when foam is manufactured and when it's put in the house, it is, you know, a VOC, a volatile organic compound that off-gasses. It's improved greatly over the last number of years. So there are people that are concerned about foam in the house because of its off-gassing properties, meaning a polymer product that's installed and sprayed on over time releases volatile organic compounds into the house, much like... A like, human. <laughs> well, a, a VOC is... The best example would be um, your house after it's been painted. 
okay, and you have that paint smell, or you've been in your house after carpet's been laid or a new floor that's been glued down, what you're smelling in the house is the release of organic compounds into the air. Now, today, they're much safer. They release their off-gassing is what it's called after a certain number of hours or minutes. But people are, have a natural fear of that. There's some people that don't want anything to do with foam. So it's something you just have to consider. And there are people that we've run across that are just extremely sensitive to volatile organic Or you have to eat that you know, triple bean uh, chili. There that's might all. be some yes, that's, that's be organic that. gases. Yes. So uh, it's been improved dramatically, but uh, it's something to be c- concerned about if, if someone in your home has sensitive to yep. those sorts of chemicals. Again, 2023 is a lot different than even 1990 or 2000. When it sounds like the code is, is, has yes. really been enhanced. Like, for example, paint. Uh, you, you can hardly buy a gallon of paint that has uh, anything other than low VOC. That means mm-hmm. very low emission of volatile organic compounds. So back to the installation question, because I'm getting in over my head on that subject. But fiberglass, cellulose, and foam products. It's also a fourth product, mineral fiber which is very popular in Canada, that's a very dense material that's a great insulator. So in most of our applications, we're using cellulose um, and fiberglass and foam because of its air sealing properties. So fit the material to the solution. Got it, got it. And the cost. You said earlier, uh, air leakage spots that a lot of homes have is, is basements and crawl spaces. So you know, are these places that are easily fixed from an air leakage or from a an insulation standpoint? Basements are a typical problem when it comes to air infiltration and indoor air quality, the ventilation discussion, which we haven't talked a lot about. Uh, Because most of your basement's under the ground, insulation is less of an issue. Why is that? Again, we're getting into some physics here, Pete, but once you get 20 or 24 to 30 inches below ground, the ground is warm. It's 23 degrees out today. The ground, after three feet down below the surface, might be 50 degrees. So you don't really need to insulate your basement. Uh, You need to air seal it to keep the cold air from coming in and also from water vapor from the ground diffusing into the house and giving it that musky smell, high humidity. Dealing with basements is more about air sealing and controlling indoor air quality and humidity. And that probably ties into most people's crawl spaces. Same thing with the the air... uh both quality and, and leakage. I have three crawl spaces in my house when we moved in. All of them had dirt floors, and you could hardly go down the basement without this awful smell of high humidity and just dampness. And that's because with that exposed dirt in the basement, the groundwater evaporates into the basement, raises the humidity, and gives it that yeah that funky m- smell. Mm-hmm. So that can be addressed by installing a vapor barrier, a piece of plastic to keep it simple, over the dirt, not to insulate but to stop the air diffusion from the ground into the house. So insulating the walls to stop air diffu- air vapor diffusion uh, from dirt and from the, from cinder blocks or sandstone or whatever the case might be uh, can help with your comfort and efficiency and, excuse me, the ventilation portion that we've talked about. So basements are a different animal because in basements you're dealing with air infiltration and vapor diffusion. And that can affect the comfort and efficiency of your house a great deal. So in my example, when we installed some vapor barriers in the basement and and addressed some air leakage, the basement became much more livable, much more functional, and became part of the living space. I mean, in many many cases, it's 
know, 25% of the square footage of a house. All right. These are, these are a lot of topics we've covered today. As a homeowner, how does this affect my utility bill? What's my return on the investment of addressing uh, insulation? How do you typically think of that? Well, in retrofit applications like we're discussing today, it's about priorities. I mean, you can't fix everything, but you can make a big impact on your house by doing the, the easiest, most cost-effective things. And that starts with air ceilings always, typically, shouldn't say always, the most cost-efficient as the highest payback. The followed by attic insulation, primarily because it's easy to access. You can get up in your attic. And because of this idea of pressure and the heat rises sort of thing, even though that's not quite the phenomena. But when people ask all the time, well, gosh, what's the payback? And um, typically, and it depends on where you start, the financial payback, Pete, would be anywhere from three to five years, sometimes six years, uh, depending on where you start and what your utility costs are. But the return on investment is, you know, 20%, 25%, could be 30%. Why? The insulation has a life uh, that's as long as your house. It's not going to degrade. Mm-hmm. It's not going to fall out. And every month you're saving on your utility bills, month after month, year after year. And if you ever go to sell the home, I'm sure you see the impact on resale value. I'm sure you see all the time homes that are have little no insulation that are, are selling or yes point point of, point of sale inspections typically call out under insulated homes and uh, I think more and more today people are cognizant of that and are factoring that in um, it's, I'd say it's changing a little bit most people are enamored by the house not by the gosh how much insulation do they have in the attic you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> as I said in our yeah. earlier episode nobody wants to insulate their house they want to do much more fun things yeah. it's probably one of the best financial investments you can make in your house in terms of its payback. It's one of the only products you can install in your house that pays you. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. How's that for a tagline? Maybe we should use that in our... That was pretty It pays you. Yeah, it does. Because you're reducing your bills. Now, how much does it affect your energy bills? Again, depends on where you start. But going back to this diagnostic approach, we typically do the pressure test before and after. We can measure very specifically the improvement in air leakage in the home, 20%, 30%, 40%. That correlates very closely to the, your energy requirements and your energy costs. Wow. So 20, 30% reduction in energy costs over a 30-year period, is this, and you can do the numbers. You're the finance guy. That's a significant ROI. This is something that pays you. I like that. We, did, we didn't talk a lot about ventilation. Maybe we'll catch that in another episode because yeah. the ventilation is another component uh, that affects your overall house comfort and efficiency and safety. But- Uh, I think we had a lot of good topics today. Yeah, totally. Marty, very informative as always, and we appreciate uh, all your insights uh, into the insulation process. And we do look forward to everyone tuning in next time to A Very Fine House. I'm Pete Carroll. I'm Marty Berry. This has been A Very Fine House with the Energy Pros, sponsored by Berry Insulation. I can find Barry Insulation at Twitter with the handle Barry Insulation. Or on our email, Barry Insulation at Gmail. That's Barry like strawberry. With an E? With an E. (laughs) (laughs) Got a question that you think we can answer? Hit us up. We'll answer it on the show. Learn about Barry Insulation on the website or in the description on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, a five-star rating, of course, would go a long way. We appreciate it. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
Our sound designer, audio engineer, and producer is Noah Fouts. Recorded at Evergreen Podcasts. Executive producers, Michael D'Aloya and David Allen Moss. We'll see you next episode. And if you only remember one thing from this podcast, it's this. Air seal, insulate, and ventilate. Thank you very much. Have a great day.